Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcome you back to the show this week. And as always, I hope wherever you are, you're staying safe and healthy in these crazy, scary times. And well, Formula One, it's still there and we may actually have a season this year. If you uh, believe the news that it is starting to come out and it came out earlier this week that uh, Formula One CEO Chase Carey has laid out Possibly what the 2020 season may look like with possibly a 15 to 18 race season. And it looks like uh, there is a little bit of confidence that the season is actually going to get going in a couple of months in the summer. And this is, well, we've had the first 10 races of the season cancelled so far. Uh, The French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard was uh, cancelled earlier this week on Monday. That's no real surprise considering uh, that it it was basically a foregone conclusion for the past uh, week, 10 days, two weeks. It's it's been out there uh, for for quite a a time. Anyways, um, there was an update that was issued by former Formula One on uh, Monday morning, and uh, Chase Carey uh, confirmed that the plan was uh, to hold races across Europe, Asia, and the Americas, and then finishing in the Middle East. So the European uh, rounds would uh, take place in July, August, and September, initially behind uh, closed doors, which uh, makes uh, sense considering everything that's uh, going on. And then they would uh, move on to uh, different races in Asia and in the, the Americas. I don't know if that means uh, here in uh, in Canada, uh, the USA, Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> you know when you say the Americas, that uh, that obviously encompasses a a large mass of land. I haven't even taken account into South America because we have the uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix as well. Anyways, and then uh, Abu Dhabi would be the uh, the final race of the season. Oh, sorry, Bahrain and Abu Dhabi would be the the final races of the season taking place in uh, December. That uh, that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Abu Dhabi has been the tradition end to the Formula One calendar for the you know for quite uh, quite some time uh, for a good many years and uh, Kerry had to say in a press release earlier this week quote although this morning it was announced that the French Grand Prix due to take place in late Ju- June will not be going ahead we are now increasingly confident with the progress of our plans to begin our season this summer we're targeting a start to racing in Europe through July August and beginning of September with the first race taking place in Austria on you know, three to five July weekend. September, October, and November would see us race in Eurasia, Asia, and the Americas, finishing the season in the Gulf in December with Bahrain before the traditional finale in Abu Dhabi, having completed between 15 and 18 races. We will publish our finalized calendar as soon as we possibly can." End quote. So there you go, right from the the big man himself, and that this has sort of been in line with uh, what uh, they've been trying to do. And I, I know that uh, they've been uh, working pretty hard. I mean, these stories have been floating around for the past uh, couple of weeks. And uh, well, as, as each day passes, we, you know, I always say that uh, we're one day closer to getting back to normal, whatever normal might uh, might be. But I, I certainly hope that uh, they're able to pull this off, and if uh, this means that they they have to have uh, races behind closed doors, completely agree with that, and hope uh, that uh, that that's possible. And whether or not it'll shake up uh, to be a, a fifteen to eighteen race season by it's all said and done, 
I don't know. <laughs> Does it do any of us know at the moment? I don't really think so. But uh, it's better, I think, to be as prepared as possible, and it gives us a, a little bit of hope uh, that, that that something might uh, might happen. I mean, uh, considering how bad it's been for the past uh, couple of months, it would certainly be nice to look forward to something normal again, something exciting to to, to take our minds off of it. And, and like I say, I mean, if they can find a, a safe way to do it without uh, putting anybody's uh, health at risk, uh, you know, I, I'm completely in favor of that. And uh, even if it it meant that there was uh, no fans in the uh, in and around the racetrack. I think uh, a lot of people would still tune in because I mean it's going to be still the same ten teams, the same twenty drivers out there, and uh, I, I just that I think that's what it comes down to. Obviously, you're missing a big part um, of not having people at the at the circuits, but if you take away all those logistical things, and uh, it, it certainly becomes a lot easier to manage and control if you, you have a, a much smaller group of people, especially if uh, you know it's just uh, when it comes down to the, the the teams and the drivers and um, just the people required to run the facility itself. Anyways, we'll we'll wait and see. But like I say, that's uh, very promising, and hope that Carrie uh, and everyone in Formula One uh, can pull this off. So definitely, this uh, falls under the category of uh, well, let's wait and see what uh, what happens. Anyways, um, talking about a return to Formula One, Andreas Seidel, uh, team principal at uh, McLaren, said that the Formula One return cannot deprive the world of uh, COVID-19 tests. And depending uh, where, where you live in the world, this has been obviously a very, very uh, sensitive uh, topic, uh, you know, just on um, being able to, to have enough uh, COVID-19 tests available to, to test uh, people that are sick or, or, or think that they might be, or, well, we all know that uh, you don't even have to be showing symptoms of coronavirus to actually be um, transmitted. Anyways, um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, so it should be a, a sensitive issue. I mean, it's uh, extremely crucial that uh, that we get this thing contained and and people have the access to the tests and, and obviously treatment uh, that, that they need. Anyways, uh, Seidel said that uh, F1 should only go back to racing when it does not risk uh, going burning, uh, uh, his words, through coronavirus tests or personal protective equipment. And um, so, of course, uh, this kind of goes um, in line with uh, the, the previous story we're talking about, uh, the, the proposed 15 to 18 uh, season um, or calendar uh, season that uh, they're, they're proposing. And um, Seidel says uh, F1 really needs to be cautious about the, what, what they're going to do to get back uh, to racing, get back in business, because they have to be, well, obviously careful about uh, how public uh, opinion is uh, really focused at uh, at that period of in, in time. Anyway, Seidel had to say, quote, what I think is an important point is the, the public acceptance of events happening again. I think it's important that you only go back to racing once we also have certainty when it comes down to PPE and the number of tests for people are all in place and that they are available to the people that actually need it and not just the ones that are burning these tests or these materials just for going back racing. I think there's a big desire from people, from the public, from the fans, especially those in lockdown situations we're all in at the moment, that sports events are going to happen again, even if it's just on TV. But again, obviously, there's a lot of different aspects that need to be considered. End quote. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a completely reasonable thing uh, to say. And it's more than just a public uh, perception. It, it, it is uh, well, the, the very real thing. I mean, because uh, countries, uh, healthcare professionals everywhere uh, are really crying out for, for personal protective equipment and, and all the tests that they need. And it's it's not just uh, one or two places. I mean, it's a, it's a fight that we're all in. And there's uh, been a big demand on these things. So, yeah, as, as much as I would like to see Formula One come back, totally agree with this. 
suicidal, says has to be done responsibly, and they certainly can't be uh, burning through the PPE and medical tests if uh, they're they're obviously needed elsewhere. But again, we'll have to wait and see how this works out. I mean, we're we're looking here at dates in July, which uh, are still two months away. I mean, uh, if we look at what's happened over the past month or six weeks, certainly two months. In the past, in the rearview mirror, I mean, a lot has happened in that time. So who knows what's going to happen two months down the road. Again, like I was saying just now, have to wait and see. Anyway, so just going back to the the, the cancellation of the French Grand Prix, which I talked off just about the the, the top of the show, just in the the opening story I was just covering there. I just wanted to go into that a little bit in more detail. So um, the, the the French Grand Prix was originally set to go ahead on the 28th of June. And uh, anyways, the French President Emmanuel Macron had confirmed earlier this week that the ban on public gatherings, mass public gatherings, would remain in place until mid-July. So that basically put all the chances of having the French Grand Prix at the end of June uh, to rest, even though, I mean, it's pretty close, you know, but uh, they only just uh, missed it by a couple of weeks should things uh, actually uh, come back online in the middle of uh, July. Anyways, um, there was uh, a release that uh, was uh, uh, put out there earlier this week by the organizers uh, from the, uh, the the French Grand Prix, and they had to say, quote, we regret to inform you that we take note of the impossibility to maintain the 2020 Grand Prix de France. We will have to wait until next year to live the summer race altogether. The health and safety of spectators, its partners, and all those in Formula One is a priority. The GIP Grand Prix de France, Le Castellet, supports the decisions taken by the French government. The Formula One Grand Prix de France would like to thank its clients, all the administrators of the GIP, the Paul, Circuit Paul Ricard, and its partners and the companies accompanying it in the organization of the event, end quote. So anyways, uh, that means that uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, which is still scheduled for the 5th of July, is uh, the earliest race on the calendar that still hasn't been uh, cancelled. But uh, as uh, Chase Carey's uh, press release said earlier this week, that that is the uh, the, the race that they are targeting to uh, get the, the, the season going. And uh, as I was saying last week, that seems like an entirely reasonable place to, to get it. I mean, Spielberg and the Red Bull Ring, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I wouldn't say it's in the middle of nowhere, but certainly not a very densely populated uh, part of the country and um, it seems to me if uh, you can get people in there uh, for Formula One and it's uh, entirely safe to do so, it seems like a logical place uh, to go and uh, Austria is one of the first countries to start uh, start talking about easing lockdown uh, situations so we'll wait and see. I know I've said that about five or six times, or at least it feels like that so far in the program. But uh, again, it is such a fluid, rapidly changing situation. That's all we can really do is sit back and relax. And speaking of which, time to take a break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, yeah, well, we're going to stick with the the topic we were talking about uh, just before the break here, and uh, just uh, sticking with uh, with Austria and the the having the season uh, starting there. Uh, Force India. Why do I always call them Force India? Racing Point. <laughs> I just can't uh, can't get it past in my mind. I don't know why. Well, honestly, I think uh, Racing Point is just a, a little bit of a, a, ger- a generic name. But hey, next year not going to be a problem. Uh, what with uh, the the team rebranding and going to be uh, Aston Martin, that really sticks in the mind a lot more than a, a generic placeholder name like um, uh, Racing Point. Anyways, Racing Point. There, I said it. Team principal Otmar Safnauer believes that have it is realistic to get the new season started at the Austrian Grand Prix in the beginning of uh, July, and um, he was uh, in an interview earlier this week when he was uh, asked uh, whether he thought it was a realistic option, and he had to say, quote, I think so. If Austria do a very good job as a country to contain the spread of the virus into July, and there's testing available for all the Formula One employees or participants to actually test, I think it's plausible to put on a race in early uh, July. If by sometime in June we say, yes, it's on, it's happening, we're safe to go, I think all the teams will be able to make it no problem. End quote. Yeah, well, okay, well, good to hear that uh, from the team principal, uh, you know, the, the focusing uh, towards it. But it was interesting, too, that uh, that story that was out there a week or two ago that uh, that Safnauer was uh, one of the guys that thought that they could have actually raced in uh, in Austria, sorry, in Australia, pardon me, uh, back in March, uh, even though that was uh, called off. And that, that was really a weird, weird time. Uh, everything was just really coming apart uh, at, at the seams, literally, just everywhere, not just Formula One, but just everything. I mean, things were being shut down. I mean, a couple of days uh, previously, you had the announcements that the NBA player had tested positive. All the pro leagues started to shutting down. People were being told to uh, stay home. I mean, there really was a lot of uh, panic. And I think, you know, that uh, hindsight, of course, is uh, 2020. And, um, but it was, it was interesting to hear that uh, Safnauer was uh, one of these guys that uh, kind of divulged a little bit of what was going on. And how about the, the night before, or actually the early morning hours of, uh, of Sunday rather than late Saturday? Saturday night uh, that uh, that most of the teams I think all of them were and maybe I, I think McLaren weren't uh, if, uh, if I remember I remember correctly were all basically in favor to to go racing on Sunday and it came as a, a bit of a shock that uh, that they decided uh, to actually not race on uh, on Sunday when it came down to it from from Safnauer's point of view and he thought uh, despite uh, one of the uh, McLaren uh, uh, people testing positive for COVID nineteen he thought that the the race could have actually uh, gone ahead as uh, as planned anyways uh, it, it is. Uh, interesting to hear now that uh, when you see uh, some of these uh, people like uh, Carrie, like uh, Safnauer, looking uh, a little bit uh, further down the road now that we, we know what's going on to a certain extent. And uh, it, it, I mean, we've all been hit with this first wave. And if things get under control, whether or not uh, they, they think it's a good idea to go racing. And again, it is a, it's kind of a little bit different of, uh, well, maybe not a completely different point of view of uh, of uh, what uh, Andreas Seidel from McLaren was saying is he, he doesn't want to burn through all the PPE and 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 and, uh, and, and tests, and uh, I'm sure Safnauer are probably the same thing. But um, I think he's just uh, coming at it from a little bit uh, differently. He's just saying uh, there's testing available for all the Formula One employees, whereas uh, Seidel was saying, well, we shouldn't be uh, uh, wasting all the tests if there's not many uh, available. So a little bit of a difference there. So anyways, we'll move on to the next one. So um, Silverstone has uh, confirmed that uh, if the British uh, Grand Prix does
does go ahead, it will be, in fact, uh, behind closed doors, which is going to be completely bizarre to see a, a fanless facility at Silverstone. I mean, uh, that that is uh, uh, always one of my favorite races uh, to watch. I've never actually been to Silverstone to watch a, a Grand Prix. Definitely on the list of uh, one of the places I want to go to. Uh, whether or not I ever make it there, well, uh, say Lewis Hamilton is uh, still uh, racing in Formula One. That, uh, that that remains to be seen. But I think uh, that it would be really weird. I mean, I kind of always go back to, uh, you know, when I was growing up, the, the Mansell Mania in, uh, what was that, the early 90s. And, uh, you know, when the, the 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 fans stormed the track and Nigel actually had to pull over to the side of the track and and stop. I mean, it's just uh, amazing sort of stuff. So to see or even think about uh, Silverstone without uh, any people in attendance uh, seems uh, completely um, <laughs> completely bizarre in my opinion. Anyways, the uh, the boss at Silverstone, still Stuart Pringle, said it just uh, won't be possible to uh, allow fans to attend the race. And he had to say, quote, I'm extremely disappointed to tell you that we are unable to stage this year's British Grand Prix in front of the fans at Silverstone. We have left this difficult decision for as long as possible, but it is abundantly clear given the current circumstances in the country and the government requirements in place now and for the foreseeable future that a Grand Prix under normal conditions is just not going to be possible. Our obligations to protect the health and safety of everyone involved in preparing and delivering the event, our volunteer marshals and race makers, and of course, you, the, the amazing fans, means that this is the best, safest, and only decision we could make. We have consistently said that we should find ourselves in a position we will support Formula One as they seek to find alternative ways to enable F1 racing to take place this year. Following this weekend's news from the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sports, we are now working with them on the viability of an event behind closed doors. Should this be possible, in some small comfort for you to know that the 2020 Formula One Pirelli British Grand Prix will be available to watch live on Sky and Channel 4, end quote. Yeah, I guess that's a little bit of a different thing. I mean, uh, I'm not exactly sure, living in Canada, how things uh, work over there, because, I mean, I just pay for my uh, my cable, and uh, fortunately we get it uh, on TSN here, and uh, I never have any issues and uh, touch wood that uh, remains uh, <laughs> to be the same in the future. That whenever I want to uh, be able to watch a Grand Prix, never have any issues uh, getting um, getting it. Uh, but all, although I do know from what I've heard uh, from over the years that it's not always the same for fans around the world, especially in the UK. Uh, you know that there's no free to to air sort of uh, option. I mean, it's not free here either, but still, it's uh, it's not difficult to to get hold of it as long as uh, you know you're able to afford uh, cable. That is. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, again, when it comes to it, if it's going to be behind closed doors, seems to me to be the best way to go and do it. Anyways, this was a bit of a follow-up here that the uh, the push from the, uh, the 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 government in the UK to start talking about resuming sporting events around the car- uh, the, the the country has uh, been very um, encouraging towards uh, having the, the the British Grand Prix actually take place in uh, July and uh, again this is uh, comes from uh, Stuart Pringle the uh, the managing director to Silverstone and uh, he had to say in uh, an interview with Sky Sports quote whilst there's an ounce of doubt for, about safety for the fans for all the teams and then for the people who are in there living in the sport we have to do the right thing. Racing behind closed doors that would be entirely subject to government rules, but it's very encouraging that the Department of Digital, Culture and Media and Sport and the weekend at the weekend indicated that they are keen to start a dialogue between medical officials and the people in the sport to see what might be done to achieve that. We are working together with Formula One and the medical officials to see how we can do that for some kind of British Grand Prix behind closed doors, end quote. 
Yeah, so I mean, it is going to be interesting to see. Like, um, we're we're going to get into this in a in a moment because there are still a number of different uh, tracks that uh, that that want to host them a uh, host a race. I mean, uh, last week we were talking about uh, Imola uh, had offered to um, host a Grand Prix and waive any sort of uh, fees uh, to to uh, to do so, which is uh, pretty cool. And uh, that really, uh, I think, is going to what it's really going to come down to is uh, what the situation is going to be uh, like in each and every country. I mean, I just I, I listen to the excuse me, the, uh, uh, the, the, the briefings given by a provincial health officer and our uh, health minister here in British Columbia several times uh, a week. And they're uh, going to lay out a roadmap here, how they're going to slowly start opening things back up. And um, they've said for the longest time that, yeah, you know, <laughs> big parties and mass gatherings and big social events of any kind is just not going to happen this summer. And, uh, I mean, our premier even said, uh, earlier this week that, uh, you know, if you're expecting your kids to go back to school at any time, you know, forget it. it's just not going to happen. So, you know, the, the, these are things that are going to happen in, in, in different places around the world in different times. And it really is going to depend, uh, how things, um, re- the, the situation is in each and every country. And honestly, I mean, it's going to take a lot of hard work and, uh, and a lot of people are going to have to make some big decisions and, it uh, it is going to be interesting just from the uh, a side note uh, i suppose if you want to say just to see how each area each jurisdiction around the world actually decides to tackle these uh, different uh, challenges that they're going to have and uh, and lay out some framework as to how these things are actually going to get back uh, online but interesting to to hear that uh, from pringle now uh hockenheim who uh, weren't actually on the calendar for for this year, um, they've actually thrown their hat into the ring to say that uh, they have had some preliminary talks with Formula One about the possibility of hosting a Grand Prix uh, this year. And I always think that's a bit of a weird one. To me, having a, a Formula One season without a German Grand Prix seems about as it seems weird to me it's it doesn't seem right it's like not having a british grand prix or an italian grand prix or some of the like the the real traditional places i mean i know we we've only had a a french grand prix again after you know many years with uh, without one and uh, that that to me just uh, seems very very weird as well so um they obviously like i said they they were not on the the 22 race calendar that was uh, planned uh, for this year but i mean everything's off right everything that uh, uh that was set is, uh, has obviously changed. I mean, uh, we've lost the first 10 races of the the season, including my own Canadian Grand Prix here in Montreal. And, uh, but now as uh, things start to, to come around and things are, are starting to settle down a little bit uh, to the, to a certain extent, um, it is interesting that, uh, that, that, um, that, that Hockenheim has decided to, uh, to do that. So anyways, uh, their CEO, Jorn Teska told, uh, motorsport.com quote, I confirm, confirm that we are in talks. We were, and are in contact with our colleagues from Formula One from time to time. Anyways, after so many years of partnership, it is quite normal to ask each other what the respective status is. We are in dialogue regarding these topics, and we have also talked about the uncertainties of the race calendar in Formula One. We talked about whether such a thing was possible, how it would take place. We exchanged the ideas casually, but not about dates, conditions, contract setups, which are absolutely necessary in order to be able to seriously examine something like this. It didn't go that far, end quote. So we'll wait and see. It, uh, I'm not really a big fan of the, uh, the, the new Hockenheim, although it is, uh, it is fairly fun to play in, uh, in F1 2019, I must, uh, must say, which I find, uh, a lot of the tracks that, uh, I don't often find the most enjoyable to watch as a fan that are actually kind of fun to play 
playing video games, but I guess that's a, a little bit of a, a different thing. And I guess maybe I've got a bit of a sentimental attachment to, to Hockenheim. I actually found it um, in, in a book of all places. I was going through some uh, books in, uh, in the office here. Just uh, I was pulling one out, uh, oh, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And the last time I was at Hockenheim was a good many years ago. It was back in 2001 for the season finale of uh, DTM. And uh, I guess that was, oh, I forget what the date was now, but it was uh, either, I think it was in the, either the very late summer or the very early fall. I know it was in September, maybe in the bit of the beginning of October, but I remember going to, to Hockenheim. I was living in Holland at the time, and a friend of mine uh, and I, we had uh, tickets to go that day. So we, we, we drove down, took a couple hours to get there. And I just remember sitting in the, the, the main grandstand right across from the pits, a little bit to, towards uh, where you get to, to the... Uh, I guess it would be, I guess the first couple of garages, because we wanted to be able to watch the cars as they came out of the back, because this is when it was still like the big sort of kidney-shaped track where they would come through and come through start-finish and then take that right-hander and then disappear into the woods and you wouldn't see them for a couple of minutes. So we wanted to be able to position ourselves and sit somewhere where we could see them come back around out of the woods into the stadium section through that sort of tight hairpin and then back around onto the start-finish straight. So that was uh, kind of cool. But yeah, so I mean, ever since that it's changed, I know it's uh, more modernized. And uh, I guess uh, from a, a fan point of view, being more compact uh, than it was, but maybe it's just uh, me being silly and sentimental. But again, uh, what Tesca is saying is that the uh, the, the, the con- or the talks that they've had with the Formula One about possibly uh, hosting a race this season are, are very preliminary, more of a just, uh, hey, uh, is, is this going to happen? Is, is this a possibility? And kind of uh, both sides uh, feeling each other out. And uh, if uh, we, we can maybe pick up a race somewhere, if it uh, if it all worked out, certainly uh, something uh, to consider. <clears throat> Anyways, sticking with uh, other races that have uh, been uh, canceled, the Circuit de Catalunya, another place that uh, that I've been to uh, for for a Grand Prix <coughs> in. Uh, well, obviously, excuse me, I need a drink here. I have to take a break in a moment. Anyhow, uh, the Circuit de Catalunya is uh, obviously in Spain, and that's uh, one of the races that uh, was uh, canceled. Usually takes place roughly in the middle of uh, May, so it would be coming up uh, had it not been canceled in a couple of uh, weeks. Anyways, um, they are still uh, in the running to, and they're open to running the uh, the, the Spanish Grand Prix in the summer, should it uh, work out. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, there was a, a release uh, that uh, that was uh, put out there with uh, uh, by, by their uh, general manager, and uh, he had to say, "quote Since the beginning, we uh, have offered to Chase Carey is that we want to be on the same page. Obviously, if they think we can help the sport of F1 to have a stronger, better world championship in the future, we will be there. That's the way we have acted from the beginning to today. We've offered them the possibility of Barcelona organizing event, as we have 30 years of experience and we are very well located in terms of logistics. We are in close contact now." with F1 and having conversations about a new date in the season. As Chase says, they are starting the season in Europe in July and August, and we will be there around those dates for sure, end quote. Yeah, and you know, um, it was really cool. I mean, the last time that, uh, well, the only time that I'd been to Spain for the Spanish Grand Prix was a couple of years ago. We were staying at a hotel right in the the, the heart of the city, and it was amazing how easy it was to um, to get to the track. What uh, what we decided to do is uh, we, we flew into the city. We were going to be staying there for about uh, 10 days. We decided to hang out uh, and enjoy everything going around the, uh, the the different events at the track for Formula One, also all the support events and things like that. But we also, I mean, Barcelona is an absolutely fantastic city. I mean, if you've never been there, 
you must go there at some point uh, in the future, not just for Formula One. I mean, it is just uh, an outstanding, wonderful um, uh, city with just a, a lot of culture. It's just beautiful. Just uh, it's been one of the best places I've ever been to. Let's put it uh, put it that way. Anyways, so we we had decided that we wanted to um, really kind of take it easy, just enjoy. And we we didn't want the hassle of having a car, so uh, we didn't have any uh, anything rented when we got there. So uh, we, we just uh, basically did everything on foot, or you know, took a cab or public transport. Or whatever it uh, whatever it was. Anyhow, months uh, in advance, we'd uh, booked a uh, a shuttle bus out to the to the circuit. So basically, we we paid for our uh, our passes for the days that we were going to go out there. I remember we got up earlier and we were the, on the first day, day we were going to go out there. I can't remember now if we were there for the Thursday or the Friday. I mean, it's going back about five years ago. No, I guess, uh, yeah, it would have been the Friday, the, the day we went there. We didn't go there on the, the, the very first day. Anyhow, so there, just, there, there was an address. It was just a, a street address. We just, uh, we, well, we were looking at on the map. We're just like, hey, there's, there's no bus depot here or anything like that. It's just a, a residential street. Anyways, we went there. There were all these buses would just uh, come constantly. We hopped on one. We we were at the circuit, basically dropped us off as close to the the, the main gates as we could. Had uh, had a brief walk uh, to get in. Went to, to go sit in our seats in the grandstand. It was easy and it, it was very convenient. I was surprised too because um, you get on the, uh, the 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 freeway going out of the city. I guess it would be sort of a, a bit of a northeasterly uh, direction. I mean, I don't remember exactly the, the the amount of time that it took from the time that we hopped on the, uh, the the bus to get there, but I'm thinking it was maybe half an hour at most, and then maybe ten fifteen minutes from the, where they dropped us off. And it's interesting, Malmelo, where the uh, where the Circuit de Catalunya is, is uh, there's like a quite a vast uh, industrial area around it, like a, a lot of small light industry, not heavy industry. And um, I remember that's where all the buses went through, and uh, it was all just uh, basically off the off the motorway freeway whatever you want to call it and uh, I was really surprised for something when I looked at it initially on the map I'm like oh my god that looks like it's quite a ways out it was it was a lot closer than I thought and it was a lot easier to to get to so certainly in terms of uh, logistics and uh, being able or close to a big population center with uh, obviously a very very capable transportation hub then uh, Barcelona is the you know a very very good option uh, to be there uh, certainly if they're going to have a race uh, with without the public in there just to even getting the teams in and out uh, again it's uh, a good place to be so anyways uh, I, I really need to stop for a break here <laughs> don't go away we'll be back in just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show here on the Overtime Media Network and talking about races that uh, maybe we're going to have or not going to have the Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, and uh, there, there's a couple of different stories around there. Come, earlier this week, uh, they said that they were fully committed to, to holding um, the uh, the 2020 Hungarian Grand Prix in some form on August 2nd of this year. Um, they, they ins- they're they very insistent that it was still a possible uh, date uh, despite uh, the ongoing um, uh, pandemic uh, situation. It seems to be now uh, that we've uh, reached the the end of the week, it, it looks like it, it might actually be in uh, jeopardy because um, the Hungarian gro- um, government has now extended uh, a ban on uh, mass public uh, gatherings uh, to August 15th. So you know, it's another two weeks uh, down the road and uh, very much in line in what we've seen in other European uh, countries. Uh, we looked at uh, Holland and, and Belgium last week. I mean, they've pushed uh, their ban on public uh, gatherings until the end of August. Um, 
And uh, Hungary looks like uh, they're going in that uh, direction as well. So the Hungarian Grand Prix is um, really might be in a jeopardy. And uh, Formula One had really wanting to, to to keep that event on the um, on the calendar as the the, the, f- the third race of the year. And uh, even behind, uh, or sorry, a closed door event would break the the, the five hundred person limit uh, that they that they have. Anyways, uh, race organizers said uh, earlier this week that they were completely open to all the options. Uh, options to hold the event and the Hungarian uh, Grand Prix is um, fully behind them doing so and uh, anyways they said quote we are in daily contact with the rights holder Liberty is aware that we are open for all kinds of solutions and we are ready for an organizing a race that way it takes in definitely beyond our control and it depends on the situation the country is in. We are waiting for the relaxation of the measures of how and when life goes back to normal. Along with the Austrians and British, we have confirmed too that we are fully fully committed to starting the Formula One season. We've talked about the option of a closed-door race, but it's uh, protocol still being developed for Austria. If that has been developed, uh, certainly we will comply with the regulations as well. A lot, Of course, a lot depends on the government's set of rules too. However, one thing is sure, for both the government and the Hungara ring, it is important to organize the Hungarian and Grand Prix. Uh, end quote. Uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, obviously it's a, a little bit up in the air in the moment uh, based on those uh, statements by the race organizers. And uh, they had said that there is no other date uh, that's uh, been um, uh, thrown out there by either the, uh, the the organizers or Formula One if, uh, in, in fact, it can't go ahead on August 2nd. Uh, and they have to do it at some uh, point in the, in the future. And so there's a, there's a possibility, should it not go ahead, uh, that uh, it may not go ahead uh, at all. Anyways, uh, we're going to stick a little bit now with, uh, we're going to actually get into some actual things about Formula One, I promise, uh, here in uh, in a moment. Just a, a couple more things here. So the Formula One shutdown period has uh, been extended again uh, because of the uh, the, the pandemic uh, situation. Uh, originally, it was uh, just for uh, 21 days for three weeks, but on uh, the 7th of April, it was extended to, to 35 days. And with the start of the season expected and hoping to get to going in the beginning of uh, July, which is obviously another eight weeks down the road, more or less, uh, the World Motorsport Council has extended the shutdown to 63 consecutive days so it's still going so that period will uh, run till the end of may perhaps the beginning of uh, june uh, depending uh, when uh, you know which team you're working for and when they uh, each officially started their their own shutdown um, anyways the the extension for power unit suppliers has increased uh, from 35 days to 49 so that also runs into june and uh, anyways uh, the faa has introduced uh, an option for some r&d work to be undertaken in the latter part of this uh, shutdown period uh, period which but it'll be no not surprisingly closely uh, monitored and looked after or uh, looked over and the no aerodynamic work can be uh, done at uh, that time a- anyways the, um, the the sporting regs uh, now read uh, and I quote 50 days after the start of their shutdown period upon application by a competitor and subject to the prior written approval of the FIA each competitor may use the services of a maximum of 10 personnel to work remotely on long lead time projects the full details, including the names and job titles of all such personnel, all supporting material and the details of work that such personnel will be undertaking must be provided to the FIA a minimum of 10 days prior to the commencement of any work. These personnel must not change for the remainder of the shutdown period, and this work must not involve any work on projects related to the aerodynamics of the car. Whew, end quote. That was a mouthful, but uh, yeah, like everyone else, uh, so many other people around the world... 
Formula One not immune to the shutdowns at all. Anyways, uh, going back to uh, McLaren and uh, Andreas Seidel, what uh, what he was talking about uh, earlier, we, what well, we were talking about um, the, uh, the health tests and PPE and stuff like that, he did uh, elaborate a little bit more what he called was the difficult uh, decision to furlough a, a large number of McLaren's uh, team staff uh, because of the, uh, the, the pandemic. Anyways, um, the UK government has um, a, a, a scheme set up and I hate the word scheme because, uh, you know, for someone in North America, scheme almost to me feels like a scam. Anyways, they have uh, some sort of uh, situation. Uh, <laughs> how do you want to call it? They, they have a, a proper manner, a, a proper government uh, program. There you go. Government program uh, where they, uh, the UK government will pay up to 80% of employee wages and uh, will also ensure that the jobs uh, of those people that are enrolled in that uh, program will be uh, protected uh, for the long term. Anyways, uh, McLaren also um, did confirm that a number of the uh, the, the brass and the team, including Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, plus Zach Brown, have also taken uh, pay cuts. And other teams, including Haas, Racing Point, Renault, Williams, uh, they've all done uh, similar things, uh, laying off, furloughing, I guess is a different way. We, we call it layoffs here in Canada that... Uh I guess a little bit more to the point and um and also they've introduced pay cuts to uh try and uh, make sure that uh, they can economize where where they can. Anyways, uh, Seidel said it was a, a really necessary thing to do um, because of the uncertainty uh, about the severity that uh, the economic impact of the uh, the, the uh, pandemic crisis is going to have like just everywhere, including Formula One, he had to say, quote, it's still not clear yet, and it's simply impossible to know what uh, financial impact will this will be. Uh, we know that we are not going racing at the moment. We know that we will miss income this year, and this is why we had to put different measures in place in order to make sure that we are protecting our people, protecting the team to be in a position that once this crisis is over, to restart again in the best possible shape, end quote. So there you go. Like you said, everyone, even F1, is not immune. Anyways, um, yeah, well, one more, one more thing. One more thing here before I, I think maybe we'll just take one final quick uh, break here before we get into the, the final segment. We're going to talk about actual racing stuff, which would uh, be nice. Anyways, uh, Stefano Domenichelli, who is the uh, former team principal of uh, Ferrari, Scuderia Ferrari, that is, said it would be, quote, criminal end quote, for the uh, motorsport not to seize the opportunity to have a major reform uh, presented uh, or that is presented or thrust upon them because of the the, the pandemic uh, situation. Anyways, he's uh, now the current uh, CEO of Lamborghini and the president of the FIA Single-Seater uh, Commission. And he said uh, that the, the sport has waited way too long to really uh, bring in effective cost controls and other uh, measures to really uh, ensure the long-term health of uh, the, the sport. Um, anyways, uh, he said that uh, he, he really feels that the, the FAA, Liberty, and the, the teams are really thinking about what they could do for the uh, for, for the future of the sport. And he thinks that they're actually heading in the, in the, in the right uh, direction. However, he says it's basically a take it or leave it opportunity, and uh, he, he said that you can't uh, you can't leave it. You got to. It's really been thrust upon it or uh, upon Formula One and everybody involved in it. And um, uh, if they don't do something about it, there's a really really big risk that uh, if they don't bring these uh, these cost controls into to place, that uh, it might not get back to to where it was. Um, he said that uh, he also said that uh, the the number of tickets that were sold for Grand Prix that uh, were actually sold 
sold up until this point were really, really high. And uh, it, it obviously might not uh, be that. So there, when, when they go back to it, of course, I think it's going to take a lot of time before uh, a lot of people, the, the, the vast majority of people are going to be comfortable going back out to large uh, public uh, gatherings. I mean, unfortunately, I think people have uh, short memories. And I think that uh, once uh, this situation is fully under control, that uh, yeah, I think people will go back to, to things. But certainly in the short to midterm, might be a, a, a bit of a, a tough sell or expectation maybe for, for people to show up uh, in large groups and things like that. Anyways, like I said, we're going to take one final quick break here. Then we're going to talk about some racing stuff and uh, we're going to slowly shut it down. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. And like I said, we're going to talk about uh, some actual uh, racing things. Uh, Charles Leclerc, remember him? Yes, the Ferrari superstar said uh, he thinks that uh, drivers are going to find it tough to return to the Formula One bubble once uh, things uh, get uh, going again. Because, uh, it's well, I mean, it is a really tough thing. Uh, I think that uh, I, I think a lot of us have, have noticed this in our own lives. Uh, obviously, we're not at the same level as a, a Formula One driver. But I always remember when I was like in university and stuff like that, when you get like really focused on uh on on studying for exams or you have a really intense project at work that once you you get past that and you go back and you go into something that's less intense or you go away for a couple of weeks on vacation or something like that it really is kind of hard to to re-engage so in a sport where you have to be on peak mental performance and physical performance all the time i mean that that is at a completely different level that uh, obviously most of us a very small percentage of us would actually ever uh, experience Anyways, um, uh, Charles had to say, quote, this is something that you're getting better at every time you do it. So once you don't do it for a long time, then it's difficult to get back in this state. So yeah, it's going to be difficult. In the end, at home, I'm trying to train every week or so to try to put myself in the zone. Even though it's not to get in the car, it's probably just to uh, uh, just to cook pasta after that. But yeah, to, just to train myself to be in the zone, I think it's important every time I go to training. I try to be as focused as possible as I would to, to go in the car to keep me trained on that. It's going to be very interesting. Um, as Esteban Ocon, Renault driver, said uh, he's expecting what he's calling going uh, a very weird atmosphere at, uh, at closed doors uh, uh, races uh, this year. Anyways, uh, Esteban uh, had to say, quote, I'd love uh, to be back racing. I'm hearing lots of rumors we could race there, uh, a race here or there, do two races in one place. I'm sure everything is going to be well organized for us to restart at some point, and it's going to be safe to, for us to do so when we are going to do it. If that's the only way we can restart i would be very happy to do so we will miss the fans we will miss the interaction with them at the track it's going to be a very weird atmosphere as long as we can put a good show for them on tv it would be better than nothing end quote yeah i guess it would be kind of uh, weird you know if uh, you're you know, for a driver and uh, you know the people that uh, that are in formula one especially uh, you know across from the main grandstands you're used to seeing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people around uh, the, the course of a lap uh, to see it uh, completely empty when you're racing situation when it's testing it's a little bit different and, you know, there's not going to be very many people there, but uh, to be racing around an empty facility would be, um, yeah, it would be weird. But again, if we can get it going, it's going to be better than nothing. Anyways, uh, sticking with uh, Ocon, he said uh, that there's going to be no places for DNFs if there's a shortened uh, 2020 season. Um, and he's he said he's quite uh, upfront. And obviously, I think uh, this is uh, fairly I think fairly self-explanatory that uh, that there's no room for retirements in the season because um, it, it's going to make any failure to finish a race even more costly uh, than a, a normal season. Anyways, 
he said uh, it's going to be very important to finish all the races, score all the points available, and get it to, to the finish. End quote. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's going to be uh, very, very difficult. I, I think uh, that that sort of uh, sort of echoes a similar sentiment that um, that uh, uh, was it Sebastian Vettel said uh, last week that uh, it doesn't matter if it's uh, twenty two races or ten races. You know, that each race uh, counts. And I thought it was interesting though that uh, Vettel had kind of even gone on the more conservative or, or extreme view that uh, that even if they had like a eight to ten season a race season compared to say the fifteen or eighteen which is uh, currently being uh, thrown out there as the uh, a possible or maybe the ideal um, situation that Formula One's uh, looking at. Uh, Vettel went uh, even further than that, saying that uh, he felt that uh, the eight or ten season race, or sorry, eight or ten race season would not uh, minimize or, or cheapen the uh, the accomplishment of uh, of uh, winning the world championship or the, uh, the the value of the world championship. And I, th- I think that's a, an interesting comment. And I, I I would agree with that. If anything, I think it makes a, a, a little bit more difficult because over the course of uh, 22 uh, uh, races, you know, you've, uh, well, the thing is, I mean, if you fall uh, too far behind too quickly, then uh, your, your hopes uh, for uh, finishing or, you know, um, putting a solid challenge uh, in for the championship, uh, that that's going to evaporate anyways. I mean, it, uh, in, in that uh, situation, I mean, it's, it's a marathon rather than a sprint. I mean, you know, I mean, 22 races, I mean, that is just uh, a huge undertaking. I mean, that really is a phenomenal achievement uh, regardless uh, you know who who wins it anyways um, you know if you're in a shorter uh, season of eight to ten races it's still I mean uh, to, to win the world championship no matter how many races there is I mean it's a phenomenal accomplishment and it would just be that much more intense if it was uh, that much uh, shorter and if it was halved uh, from what uh, or less than what the original amount of races were and uh, you know you, you you finish a race or two you're done <laughs> that's it I mean if uh, you you know, you, there's uh, say a, a ten race season, and uh, you you don't finish two or three races of the, that that year. I mean, um, and you're a contender. You know, you've got a car that's going to get you on the podium, or perhaps even be challenging for race wins. Three races, that's potentially 25 points if uh, you're one of the top guys. Uh, sorry, 75 points if um, you don't win those uh, three races or you're, you you can't finish it. So that's huge, right? So it's kind of cool. Uh, anyways, uh, Sebastian Vettel, just uh, sticking with him, he said that he's actually uh, taken delivery of uh, a sim racing rig and uh, he's going to actually uh, join some of his rivals in some of these esports uh, competitions. I think this is kind of cool. I mean, Vettel is obviously a little bit older than some of these guys guys like Charles Leclerc, Alex Albon, and uh, and some of the other, and Lando Norris, uh, Nick Latifi, some of the younger guys that have been uh, getting involved. I mean, um, he's obviously not uh, very old. He's only in his uh, early, uh, early 30s. Anyways, um, he was asked uh, whether or not, uh, if he'd been, uh, you know, tempted to get involved uh, because uh, so many of the other F1 drivers were, and he, he was uh, just said, well, he didn't have a, a sim rig until uh, only just uh, recently, and he, he wasn't uh, really um, motivated to get involved, or maybe tempted to get involved uh, because he didn't have ones but anyways he said uh, that he'd heard a lot of good things about it so he had decided to, to get a sim racing rig and get it set up uh, anyways he said that uh, he doesn't see a, uh, a career in sim racing but uh, he says that he 
think it might be a, a fun thing uh, to try. But, uh, you know, he said uh, that video games is not really something that uh, that's a high priority for him because he's got kids now. It's not the first uh, thing uh, for, for on his uh, on his list to do. And uh, he said that uh, he did see the news that Charles did uh, very well. And uh, he thought it was uh, good for the uh, for the team and also for for Charles Leclerc. And if you're a Formula One driver, you may be not just a little bit uh, put off by the fact that uh, Charles is <laughs> just as dominant in sim racing as he is in uh, behind the wheel of a real car. I think that's uh, actually kind of uh, cool. Anyways, uh, sticking with Leclerc, he said that he would be very happy to keep uh, Sebastian Vettel as his uh, teammate uh, for, for next season in 2021. Obviously, uh, Seb is out of contract at the end of this year. Charles signed a new long-term uh, contract uh, over the off uh, season. And uh, Charles actually quite uh, upfront and honest saying that the the relationship uh, between the two of them is uh, actually better in person than it is sometimes uh, portrayed out in uh, in the media. Obviously, the big flashpoint uh, there was the the, the coming together that uh, these two guys had at the the Brazilian Grand Prix last year when they uh, were, um, well, there's just, I think they're about to pass turn three or whatever down that uh, short straightaway. Uh, Vettel went to go and pass uh, Leclerc and when he came back across, uh, clipped a Leclerc in the front uh, on his front wing they both crashed out of the race and uh, that is the cardinal sin in uh, in motor racing is uh, well first of all don't crash out of the race if you can help it but don't take yourself and your teammate out Anyways, um, sorry, uh, Leclerc had to say, quote, I'm very happy with Seb. I think it was good, even though we had a few problems on the track, like in Brazil or things like this. I think it's always been a good relationship, even though from the outside, it was probably not seen as it was. So I'll be happy to keep him, but I will respect the decision for whoever is next to me. And at the end, it's my job to adapt to the person next to me. And you can always learn from whoever is your teammate. So I would welcome anyone. But if Seb stays, I would definitely be happy, end quote. Yeah, well, also, I think that uh, after Brazil, I think uh, Ferrari was very good and very quick uh, to step in. They had a closed door meeting uh, back at the, uh, the the team headquarters at Maranello. They didn't uh, divulge uh, what had happened. They said they met with uh, both drivers individually and then uh, met uh, with everybody in the same room and outlined what was going on. And I, I think that's well, without having the benefit of actually being there, but I think that is a good way to to deal with it. Deal with it in house. Don't deal with it in the media, out in the public. Uh, I mean, the last thing that they want, and uh, maybe that was one thing that Mattia Bonato had in the back of his mind, is that they didn't want this thing to to become like a flashpoint and be like the first the first incident in um, in in say like the, the the Ferrari version of Hamilton and and Rosberg, and of course that <laughs> that, that fermented and uh, really went toxic over a you know many number of years but still i think that they they did a good job but you know it still is interesting here from uh, leclerc that uh, that he feels that the, uh, the the relationship that he has with uh with uh, sebastian vettel is not really portrayed uh, as properly as it should be out uh, in the media anyways uh, sticking with leclerc he said that his close friend uh, jules bianchi rest in peace uh, probably deserved the ferrari uh, race seat uh, a lot more than him and uh, he believes that jules uh, would actually have um, done a lot better and uh, delivered a lot of be- better results uh, than he's done uh, so far. So 
Unfortunately, we'll never know if uh, this is true because uh, Bianchi is uh, he was uh, sadly uh, fatally injured in that uh, crash at uh, Suzuka several years ago, and then uh, sadly passed away after never regaining consciousness uh, several months uh, later. Uh, and, and this uh, follows uh, very much on the same theme as uh, Danny Ricardo uh, said a couple of uh, you know uh, weeks ago that uh, Bianchi was uh, one of the most underrated rivals uh, that he had in motor racing, and uh, Danny Rick uh, thought. That uh, that uh, Bianchi would have been just as a big of a star uh, at Ferrari as uh, Leclerc has become in the last uh, year or so, and uh, that is just uh, really, really uh, tragic. Um, anyways, um, uh, Charles had to say uh, Jules had shown what he had to show in F1, and there was definitely a lot more to come. Uh, but I think results like scoring points in Monaco when he was with uh, Mauritius were telling a lot about his talent. So he definitely deserved an F1 seat, a Ferrari seat, probably even more than I did. But the fate had decided something uh, other for him, unfortunately. But I'm pretty sure he would have shown probably even more than I do. And yeah, he was extremely talented. End quote real shame and rest in peace Jules uh, Bianchi uh, now this is interesting. Uh, th- this is um, you know this uh, Ferrari engine saga. It just won't go away. I mean it's it's been out there since the end of last year, and it seems to pop up uh, every couple of weeks. Anyways, uh, Zach Brown, McLaren CEO, he's actually thrown down the gauntlet, and he's uh, challenged uh, Ferrari uh, team principal Matteo Bonato to prove that uh, the, the the sporting considerations um, by releasing all the details about this secret arrangement that, that they have with the FAA about the the specs on uh, Ferrari's 2019 power unit you know they had uh, I mean there, there was this investigation Bonato's always said uh, that uh, that the engine was legal that they weren't uh, doing anything wrong but you know there was enough investigation and enough things out there and you know that old old saying where there's smoke there's fire I think that uh, you know no pun intended when it comes to an internal combustion engine but uh, still when these things are persistent and it goes on as long as it has and you, you have as many people that are in the know and, and very smart people in Formula One when they have their suspicions it really makes you wonder what what's going on uh, behind the scenes and then when you, you when you read and you hear about these stories about the uh, the, the, the news that Ferrari has this uh, secret deal in place with the uh, the FIA and they're not going to divulge any details about it I mean that just reeks a little bit right I mean, it really, really makes, uh, it really stinks of a cover-up. Anyways, uh, uh, a lot of their rivals uh, are not happy about that. And uh, the FAA did not want to have a really long court case uh, about the deal. And uh, they just were not able to prove conclusively that uh, Ferrari broke the rules. And uh, despite uh, Ferrari saying that that the Angel had been uh, legal at all times. Anyways, um, Brown was uh, a lot more uh, you know, vocal about it. He said, quote, I'm all for having ethical duties and along the line of ethics. I think we would be gr- it would be great if Mattia would share with us, as the FIA has volunteered to share, what the details were behind the secret arrangement that they came to over the alleged breach of regulations around their engines. While we're on the topics of ethics and transparency, I think that would be a good point and time well served, end quote. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I'd love to hear it too, and whether or not uh, they actually, um, you know, respond to uh, Brown's challenge, that's another thing. I doubt it. I would really be shocked if they, uh, if uh, Ferrari actually decided to do that. But again, they've got questions. We've got questions. I've got questions. I'd, I'd love to know. You know, <laughs> again, I think the truth is somewhere is in, in, in the middle here, right? I mean, Ferrari said that uh, the engine is legal. The FAA believes that, uh, that it wasn't, but they, they couldn't uh, conclusively prove it. 
So why not, uh, if your engine has uh, nothing or you, you have nothing to hide over the legality of your, uh, your engines and, uh, you know, why not come out and say it? Uh, rather than hiding uh, behind this, uh, you know, bit of uh, legal protection. Anyways, I know it's uh, not as uh, simple as that. Right. Well, let's uh, finish up uh, the the show here with um, some statements uh, by uh, Mercedes uh, technical director James Allison, who believes that Hamilton stands out apart from uh, other world champions uh, because of his, quote, utterly unblemished Formula One. Uh, record. Anyways, uh, Allison has uh, been with the Mercedes uh, since uh, 2017, and he's worked with other world champions, including Michael Schumacher, Fernando Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, Sebastian Bet- uh, Vettel, during his times at uh, Benetton, Renault, Lotus, and Ferrari. I mean, those... Um it's a pretty impressive resume. Anyways, Allison had to say, quote, I've been lucky to work with people who've had the highest integrity. I do think that it's a characteristic that marks out Lewis. I think he's one of the oldest drivers on the grid now, still like drives like one of the youngest, but he uh, he is in a career of multiple championships and countless wins. You'll struggle to find a moment on the track where you see Lewis do something ugly. You'll see him do many, many breathtaking things. You'll see him do brave things, but you won't see crude dodge and bumper car stuff or any... Or, sort of uh, artifice to the way he drives. I hope he manages to keep this going for the remainder of his driving career because it's an utterly unblemished record. I think amongst multiple world champions, it is also unprecedented to have all that success without anything that there's even a hint of shadow of poor sportsmanship hanging over it. I think that's impressive, end quotes. Well, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think that uh, James Allison has summed it up uh, nicely. And uh, Lewis, obviously, still uh, driving six world champions. He's obviously um, one of the greatest. Well, he's he is the greatest driver of this generation, no doubt about it. Uh, obviously, with six uh, world championships, that throws him in the discussion, even though he's still an active driver as to if he is uh, or is the best uh, Formula One driver of uh, all time. And I think that uh, is a subject that will have to be revisited when Lewis uh, eventually decides uh, to retire, but he's he's in that conversation already, and I think he has been for a good uh, good long period of time. And uh, it is impressive to watch how good and how consistent uh, that that guy is. And uh, yeah, like Allison said, he doesn't really resort to too many sneaking things uh, on the track. I mean, he still is one of the quickest guys out there, if not the quickest guy. And it is impressive what he still manages to accomplish on the track. Anyways, that's it for the show this week. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to the program. If you want to get in touch, you can reach me on Twitter at ScuderiaF1 or on email at ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Take care. Take it easy. Take good care of yourselves. And I'll talk to you again this time next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com.